Well, praise the Lord. We're ready for the word of God. And I'm going to ask if you would please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 9. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 20. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time together. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and you're our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Genesis chapter 9, beginning with verse 20, listen to what God's word says. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. I want to talk about don't blame it on the alcohol. Don't blame it on the alcohol. When we get to Genesis chapter 8 and 9, the flood is over. The storm is done. The 40 days of rain that had fallen uh, on the earth is over. The 150 days of flooding, all that muddy, murky mess that's done. Now things are solid. The, the one year of quarantine for Noah and his wife and sons and their wives and all the animals, all of that is done. And at the end of this, this quarantine, at the end of this storm in chapter 8, the last verse starts talking about some fixed principles. And it says that these fixed principles will be here as long as the earth exists, that it will not change. It starts talking about it will always be uh, sowing and harvesting. It will always uh, be uh, summer and winter. It will always be cold and hot, always be day and night. These are fixed principles that will not change despite the fact that you have gone through a year of difficulty. And I believe that that's the message that God is getting across to us too. Out of our crisis, out of our catastrophe, out of our confusion and calamity, just understand even as we begin to come out that there are some fixed principles that are not going to change because you and I have gone through a season of difficulty. <laughs> These things will be here forever. The sun is always going to rise in the east. It's always going to set in the west. Gravity is not going to change because we had a hard time. Uh, what goes up, it will come down. You will reap what you sow. For every action, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction. What goes around comes around. These are principles that will not change. These are fixed principles. That liquid at 212 degrees Fahrenheit is going to boil. At 32 degrees Fahrenheit, the liquid is going to freeze. There are some things that will not change despite the hardships that we've had. That's how chapter 8 closes these fixed principles that, that there will always be sowing and harvesting. You cannot harvest if you do not sow. That if you want to reap something, you got to sow something. It's got to be seed time and harvest. That there's always going to be cold and hot no matter what. That there will be people who are cold and callous and insensitive. And there will be people who are warm and empathetic and sympathetic. There will be employers who are cold and callous. But there will be employers who are nice and kind. There's always going to be cold and hot. There will always be 
summer and winter. <laughs> That's a fixed principle. It won't change. Seasons will always change as long as the earth is here, summer and winter. You can't in the winter get mad at God and curse God and give up on life in the winter. Uh, hoping, wishing, I wish it were summer. All I've been through, I need a summer. No, sometime winter has to come. And in the winter, that's when, that's when things die off and make room for uh, new life and new things to blossom and bloom. I know that there were some friendships and relationships. You thought they would last forever, but no, winter came and those things died. I know you thought you were going to go to heaven from that job you had, but then winter showed up and it died. Well, maybe this is God making room for new growth and something new to blossom in your life and something new to come along. These principles will not change. There's always going to be day and night. There's always going to be cold and hot, summer and winter. You got to sow something if you're going to reap something. That's how chapter 8 closes. Then chapter 9 verse 1 opens by saying, and God bless Noah. Yes, it was rough. Yes, he went through a storm. He went through difficulty. He lost so much. Uh, but God bless Noah. I want you to understand that God is still in the blessing business. Yes, you've had hardships. Yes, sickness. Yes, I know things happen on the job. I know you took a cut in pay. I know somebody close to you has passed on. But God is still in the blessing business. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think God has given up on you. God has not given up on you. You're still blessed. I know you lost a lot. But you still got a relationship with God. You still believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You still have the Holy Spirit. You're still a part of the body of Christ. You are still blessed. God is still working all things together for your good. You're blessed. God blessed Noah, uh, Genesis 9 and 1 says, and his sons. And his sons, yeah, because when God blesses you, it's not just personal. It's social and multi-generational. Whenever God blesses you, it's not just for you, it's social. He blesses you in order to bless others around you. That concentric circle of contact that you have is social and is multi-generational. God blessed Noah and his sons and his children. And that's what God is doing with you. Sometimes it's hard to see it coming out of a storm. But God is blessing you and your children. Matter of fact, the Word of God teaches us this multi-generational blessing the Word of God says that when you have faith and you obey God, that He will bless you and your, I like the way the King James Version puts it, and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. The way we say it in the 21st century, these multi-generational blessings, is that God blesses you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. So uh, when it looks like things are not right, when it looks like uh, things are not going your way, just you can stand on the promises of God that, God, you said you're going to bless me and then give me a social multi-generational blessing in my life. And God blessed Noah. And in 9 and 1, it says, and he said, and be fruitful and multiply and increase. Wait a minute. Let me slow this down. Three times in Genesis chapter 8 and 9, it says, be fruitful, multiply, and increase. And whenever you're reading Scripture and there's a phrase that is repeated, that is repetitious, 
That's more than likely God trying to get something across to you. When somebody's talking to you and they keep saying the same thing over and over, that's the emphasis of what they're trying to get across to you. And God says over and over, after the storm, after coming out of the ark, during this period of restoration and renewal, of, of overcoming the quarantine and the social isolation that Noah dealt with, overcoming the 40 years, the, the 40 days of, of rain and the 150 days of flooding, God says, all right, three times, be fruitful, multiply, increase. And notice what he says here, not have fruit, he says to be fruitful. That's a big difference. There's a difference between being and having. Being is ontological. Being is about character. It's about nature. It's about person. Being is about who you are. He didn't tell Noah half fruit. He said be fruitful. Yeah, we are not human havers. We are human beings. Some of us, we are great human havers, but we're not so good with being human beings. We need to understand when you get the being straight, then the having will take care of itself. God says, I want you coming out of this mess you've just gone through, as things begin to solidify, as things, uh, uh, restoration is coming, work on your character. Work on that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Believe Jesus died on the cross. Believe God raised Him from the dead. Receive Him by faith. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Work on not being a human haver, but a human being. Be fruitful. Three times it says it. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 17, that's the first time. It says, be fruitful, multiply, increase. And then right after that, in Genesis 8 and 20, uh, Noah built an altar, <laughs> an, an altar, a place uh, where he could work on his spirituality. I, I believe that what God does is he sends us through difficulty to help shape our spirituality. Uh, be fruitful. Yeah, it, it's time for you to have this fruitful being that is associated with spirituality. Build an altar. That's what Noah did. Altar is a place uh, where sacrifices are made, where uh, where, where giving, offerings are offered, where prayer is offered, worship is done, where praise is done. That's what we need to do as we're dealing with this coming out of this crisis that we're in. Build it. Get a place of worship. Get you an altar. Somewhere that you can sacrifice and pray and praise and give. Uh, we need an altar because God uses that which is stormy to work on our spiritual. So some of us are praying more now than we ever had prayed. Some of us are sacrificing more now than we ever had. So we call it on God more now. We're trying to hear God's voice. We're listening to more preaching and teaching than we ever, because God uses difficulty to help shape spirituality. My friend, Dr. Theron Williams tells a story about this atheist who denied the existence of God uh, and then he tried to deal with his spirituality in the woods and nature and in the forest. He didn't believe there was a God. He ignored church and the kingdom of God, but tried to be spiritual in the woods. And one day that atheist was off in the woods and he ran across a bear. And when he came face to face with this bear, the atheist just took off running. And as he took off running, the bear ran after him. Bears are large, but they are pretty swift. And the man, the atheist, is running and running, trying to get away from this swift bear. And then the man slipped and fell. And when he slipped and fell, it gave that bear a chance to get up on him. And now the bear is all over him. And the bear raises that, 
that big arm up and ready to come down with that huge paw and swipe that atheist and consume him. But then when that paw was up in the air, the atheist began to pray. And the atheist prayed? Yeah. And God froze the scene. God said, I've never heard from this man. This man has denied me all his life. And so God froze the scene to see what this atheist is trying to ask God to do. And that scene frozen, and the atheist began to pray, God, I know I've denied you, but I really need you now. And God, I need you to do one of two things. I need you to perform a miracle and to get me out of this situation. Or God, I need you to make this bear a Christian so he can rethink what he's getting ready to do to me. And God is a God of mercy and grace. And so God answered the man's prayer. He, he, he gave him the latter part of what he asked for. He made the bear a Christian. And so the bear accepted Jesus as his personal Savior, and the Holy Spirit moved inside the bear. And then God unfroze the scene. And now that huge bear with that huge arm coming down with that big paw, getting ready to swipe that man. And then as he got ready to come down and swipe him and consume him, the bear had a recognition, I'm a Christian. And so the bear stopped what he was doing and then put his paws together and said, Father, I thank you for what I'm about to receive for the nourishment of my body. Uh, that's a funny story to me. But what it's saying is that there are those of us who have denied Christ, his church, his kingdom, the causes of Christ, until we got in a crisis and we begin to call on God because God will use difficulty and that which is stormy uh, to help with our spirituality, he built an altar. Then there's another time in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, that God doesn't talk about having fruit, but uh, being fruitful, uh, being fruitful and multiplying and increasing. And this time, it's about authority. This fruitful being aligns with authority in, 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 in 9 and 1, Genesis 9 and 1. Be fruitful, multiply, increase, and then right after that, it says that, Noah, I've given you authority, authority over the birds, authority over the beast, authority over the fish, authority over that which, which crawls on the ground, the authority that God has given. Oh, I love that. Coming out of this hardship, coming out of this uh, one year of quarantine, as he comes out of that ark of safety, God says, I'm giving you authority. And this is not the first time that God has promised authority to you and I. Authority, yeah. Matter of fact, on the first page of the Bible, you, it's easy to find, on the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, God created Adam and Eve, and he created them after his own image. And then he gave them dominion, authority over the birds that fly in the air, the beasts on the field, and the fish in the ocean. God created us after our own image and then delegated to us dominion authority. The reason why I want to bring that up is because that's how I know you can make it. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're getting ready to go through, God has delegated his authority into your life. You can make it. You can overcome. You can transcend that. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that even now whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus told his disciples, all power is given unto me. All authority is given unto me. 
And then he took the authority that was given to him and put it behind the believers, behind the Christians, behind the church, and said, therefore, go therefore into all the world and baptize and teach and make disciples with the authority of God behind you. And then in, in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus, about ready to ascend to his father, said, you shall, told his disciples, you shall receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come up in you and you shall receive power. Watch what Christ does. He takes his authority and puts it behind the believer. Then he takes his power and puts it in the believer. That's how I know we can handle whatever we're facing. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. The authority of Christ is behind us. Now, with that authority, God said, I'm giving, no, I'm giving you dominion. I'm giving you authority, but it's got some restrictions to it. <laughs> he said, I'm giving you authority, but now uh, there are some things you can eat, some things you can't eat, Genesis 9. There's some things you can do and other things you cannot do. You, you got authority. I, I'm giving you that, but it's, it's restrictive. It's restrained. Um, I'm not going to give you everything, but I will give you everything you need. Restrictions and restraints. See, that's our issue right there. Some of us feel like I'm so holy. I'm so in tune with God. I'm filled with God's Holy Spirit. I have his anointing. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. No, no, no. You still got restrictions. And you still have restraints. And matter of fact, I think that's the tension in life for so many of us, that we have an appreciation for restrictions and restraints. But in so many cases, we're trying to come from up under restrictions. and We got appreciation for restrictions and restraints because, Noah, that's what got you through your storm, the restrictions, the restraints. That's why you survived and thrived because the the restrictions, the, the ark is 75 feet long, 45 feet wide, three stories high. That's restrictive. That's a restraint. That's a quarantine. But it's that restriction and restraint that saved you, uh, that you survived and thrived. But now that you come out, God says, now you can eat this, but you can't eat that. You can do this, but you can't do that. More restrictions and restraints. Uh, we have an appreciation for it, uh, but we're also trying to get from up under it. And that's the struggle with somebody right now. You're coming out of the storm, but God says, okay, now remember restrictions and restraints is what brought you through. And don't try to ignore that right now. Uh, my sons, they understood that coming home from college break and uh, summer breaks from college and winter breaks from college, then they have to come back into the house with their mom and dad. And at our house, uh, we have some fixed principles at our house. We have some restraints and restrictions at our house. At our house, uh, everybody comes in at a decent hour. That's a fixed principle. At our house, we all respect and honor one another. That's a, that's a fixed principle. We got restrictions and restraints at our house. At our house, everybody makes a contribution to the house to help keep the house going. And our sons had an appreciation for the restrictions and the restraints. That's why they were successful with education and moving on towards success with their career because of the restrictions and the restraints. But still... They knew they wanted to come from up under there. There's too many restrictions and restraints and fixed principles at mom and dad's house. And then as they got from up out of our restrictions and restraints at our house, they learned that even when you leave our house, there are going to be restrictions the next place you go. Even at college, you're going to have some restrictions and restraints. That even when you get a job, your employer is going to have some restrictions and restraints. 
Whatever city you move to, there are going to be laws. Those are restrictions and restraints. And when you get a woman, she's going to put some restrictions and restraints on you. So even though you got the authority and the power, make sure you're operating according to the will, the way, and the word of God that in times restricts us and restrains us. But that's to save us so we can survive and thrive. And, and then with this authority, God told Noah, that be fruitful. I'm going to give you this authority. And I got some restrictions with it. And those restrictions also include how you treat your brothers and sisters. He says, okay. And God told, God told Noah, now, if you shed blood, your blood is going to be shed. Meaning if you kill somebody, you're going to be killed because there's a fixed principle. You reap what you sow. So if you hurt somebody, you're going to be hurt. But y'all, contrastly, if you help somebody, you're going to be helped. If you bless somebody, you're going to be blessed. You have the authority. You have the power. Why don't you use it to be a blessing in somebody's life? Don't allow the crisis that you're coming through and coming out of to mess up your mentality to think that because I come out of a mess, now I can be mean and evil to everybody else and God will understand my heart because I just come, no, if you, if you shed blood, your blood's going to be shed. If you hurt somebody, you're going to be hurt. But if you bless somebody, even coming out of a burdensome situation, you're going to be blessed. Y'all, if you want to if you want to be loved, then love somebody. You want somebody to help you, then help somebody. You reap what you sow. If you want to be blessed, bless somebody. That's how it works. We had a husband and wife uh, that worked for our church. Both the husband and the wife were employed with us. And when the husband turned 50, the wife uh, put together this little surprise gathering at the church for the staff so she could show her love for her husband. And, and she put this little surprise gathering together and invited the staff to come. It's a, a free lunch for us. Y'all come help me uh, celebrate my husband's 50th birthday. And so when we got there, we all gathered around in the courtyard, and then here comes her husband, and when he walks in, we all yell, surprise, and we sing happy birthday, and it's a lot of sweets and treats and eats, and we're having a good time for our lunch break. And then I walked up to her, I said, man, happy birthday to you, man, 50, man, that's great, God has been kind to you, and I know you weren't surprised, you act surprised, but you weren't surprised. He said, Pastor, I got to admit, I really was surprised. I said, man, I don't believe that, most folk aren't surprised at their surprise part. He said, I got to admit, I was. He said, I, I saw all of y'all today, including you, Pastor, he worked in facilities and security, he said, I saw all of y'all today, and no one said anything to me. He said, I'm so, I'm really surprised. He said, Pastor, I'm the one that set these tables up. I said, wait a minute. Your wife had you set tables up for your own 50th birthday surprise? He said, no, I didn't know I was setting it up for myself. My supervisor told me, go set these tables up. And then my supervisor told me how he wanted the tables to be arranged. I thought I was setting it up and arranging it for somebody else. And then when I come back in, all of y'all in here, and talking about surprise, I was surprised because I didn't know it was for me. Here's what I want you to understand, that when he set it up, when he thought it was for somebody else, it didn't look like this. Now, now it's got balloons. Now it's got covering. Uh, now it's got sweets and treats and peeps. Uh, and that now it's got all of this stuff here for him. But he thought he was setting it up for somebody else and really... It was a surprise set up for him. That's how God does it. When you and I have a heart and mind 
to arrange blessings in other folks' lives. When you and I have a heart and mind to set up a blessing for somebody else, then God will take that and turn it into a surprise for you. Surprise! He'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You don't have room enough to receive it. Surprise, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Surprise, God will give back to you good measures, pressed down, shaken together. God will make it run over. Be fruitful and multiply and increase. Here's a third time. The last time it's mentioned here. It's in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. Not have fruit. <laughs> Be fruitful. When you get your being together, having will take care of itself. Be fruitful. This time, it is accompanied by security. God says, be fruitful, multiply. And this fruitful being is accompanied with security. Right after that, God says, now I want you to understand, I got a covenant for you. This, uh, this being is, con is, is connected with covenant. The promise of God. And the promise of God is Noah. I know you've been through a rough time. I know it's been hard. I, I know you've been quarantined for a year. I know it's been murky and muddy and messy, but I want to make you a promise. I got a covenant I'm making with you that I will not end the earth like this ever again. That I, it, when, I will not allow rain to destroy the earth. I will not allow a flood to devastate the earth at this level. Now, the promise is not that it won't rain again but it won't devastate like this. The promise is not that it won't flood again, but it won't destroy like this. That's my promise to you, Noah. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put an arch of colors formed in the sky by retraction and dispersion of the sun in certain situations not in an isolated vacuum, but across mediums. In this case, raindrops, retractions of the sun, refractions. Yeah, refractions of the sun. Refraction is the velocity and the speed of the sun's light. Not in an isolated vacuum, but across a medium, across the raindrops. Dispersions. Yeah, dispersion is how things are distributed. God says, I'm going to allow the sun's light to make distribution across a medium, not in an isolated situation, but across a medium. In this case, sun drops or, or rain drops. I'm, God says, I'm going to take the, the, the sunlight, its speed and its distribution across these rain drops as a reminder to you that I have got your back. I'm going to take what has been coming down on you heavy and bringing destruction and devastation around you, but this time I'm going to bring the sun's light in a way to bring an arch of colors as a reminder to you that this won't happen in your life, that I'm securing you, that I got you. So anytime you're afraid, anytime fear sets in, anytime you're wondering, am I going to make it? You'll be able to just look up and see a rainbow in the sky. Uh, yeah, the, the sun's light is making that happen. There can be no rainbow without sunlight 
It takes the refraction and, dis and, 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 and the distribution that the sunlight offers in order to have a rain. There is no rainbow without the sunlight. And when the sun shines in that way, it's a reminder that I've got you. I've secured you. You're safe with me. And you know what I'm talking about, the sunlight. I'm not talking about the S-U-N of God, but the S-O-N of God. It's proof that the sun is still shining, that the sun is still blessing. The sun of God is still delivering. Jesus is still making a way. You are secure. God has got you. Be fruitful and multiply and increase because of the security of God. It's confirmed and the promise of God, the covenant with God, and all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So the next time you think you're not going to make it, just look up, set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. And the Son of God will continue to shine on you to let you know it's going to be all right. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Just, just look up. You, he'll remind you. Look into the hills from which cometh your help. Your help comes from the Lord. And this be fruitful. And multiply and increase is also about prosperity. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a, this, this fruitful being is attached to prosperity. Be fruitful, multiply, increase, replenish. Remember, this is after the storm. This is after the crisis. This is after the mess. But now there's restoration. Now there is renewal. Now there is revival. Now there is replenishing. Because the God I serve, when you get your being straight, uh, he'll attach prosperity uh, to, your, to that being. Prosperity? Yeah. Noah now is a, he's a flourishing farmer. Uh, he is, he's a fruitful farmer. In Genesis 9 and 20, it says that he planted a vineyard. And as he plants this vineyard, it begins to multiply. It begins to increase. It, be, it begins to replenish. And so he has all of these grapes. He's a flourishing farmer. He's prospering. And now he has grapes to feed his family and community. And then he made grape juice because he's got grandkids now. So his grandchildren, uh, Canaan and them, they, they love grape juice for the grandkids. And then Noah would ferment some of that grape juice, and he made some wine. And in Genesis 9 and 21, it says, and then Noah began to, to drink the wine, and he got drunk. And after he got drunk, then he took his clothes off. That's normally how that goes. Whenever you're reading Scripture, it's in sequence. He got drunk, then he took his clothes off. They didn't say he took his clothes off, then he got drunk, because Normally, that's the sequence that takes place in life. <laughs> people get drunk, and then they take their clothes off because people who are not sober don't understand the significance of covering. You ever try to witness to somebody who wasn't sober, who wasn't in their right mind, and you're telling them Jesus saves and Jesus loves you and Jesus wants, and they don't understand the significance of covering from the Lord in their life because they're not sober. He gets drunk, and then he takes his clothes off. Verse 21 says he's naked. Nakedness is a representation of shame. So he's drunk, and there is shame in his life. And then his youngest son, Ham, walks into the tent. He sees his father there who's, who's drunk and naked, and he sees all this going on, 
and, and Ham didn't know how to respond to that. And Ham started doing some foolish things. And then Ham goes and tells his two older brothers, Sham and Jephthah, what's going on. And then Sham and Jephthah come, and they go in the tent, but they walk in backwards with a blanket. And they cover their father's shame, his nakedness. And then Noah wakes up. Now, I don't, I don't know if Noah, when he got drunk, I don't know if he blacked out, if he passed out, if he just went to sleep. I don't know. But he didn't know all the stuff that was going on. But when he came to and figured out what was going on, then, then Noah, uh, it says in verse 25, he cursed his grandson Canaan. Now, this is, I, I want to slow down here because in the 17th century, there were some racist theologians um, who wrote commentaries. And in these commentaries, they, they talk about the curse of Ham. And these racist theologians begin to twist the Scripture, talking about the, uh, the curse of Ham, as to rationalize and justify their maltreatment of black people who are of African descent because the Africans, we are descendants of Ham. And so if you curse Ham, if God curses Ham, and now these white uh, racist theologians twisting the scripture try to rationalize slavery and justify the maltreatment of black people because of the curse of Ham, and that's why it's all right to do this social injustice and this oppression, uh, y'all, there is no curse of Ham. The Word of God is true. Now, everybody talking about the Word of God, they ain't true, but the Word of God is true. There is no curse of Ham. There was a curse of Canaan. There is no rationalization and justification for your maltreatment of people that don't look like you, for your racial attacks and your uh, prejudging people based on the color of their skin and their, your oppression of people that are not like you. There is no justification for that. And there is no curse of Ham. It said that that Noah cursed Canaan. He didn't say he cursed Ham. Matter of fact, I know Ham wasn't cursed because in Genesis 9 and 1 it says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and Ham is the son of Noah. So Ham is blessed. God didn't curse Ham. He blessed Ham. And when Noah got up in his drunken stupor and saw all was going on, he cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Y'all, we're not descendants of Canaan. Ain't no Canaanites left. We're descendants of Ham. And, and really what this is, it didn't even say God cursed Canaan. It said Noah cursed Canaan. Now, I know some of you are so holy and so righteous. Y'all never been around drunk folk. Now, let me tell you how drunk people are. There are some drunk, there are people who will get drunk and they'll curse everybody. <laughs> you, me, children and grandchildren. So what you see in Genesis 9, verse 20 and 21, all the way through 25, you see you see an old man that had gone through so much that now he ends up getting drunk, and he gets drunk off his own prosperity. He gets drunk off his own success. And as he gets drunk, here's an old man drunk that begins to curse his own grandson. It didn't say God cursed Canaan, and it didn't say that God cursed Ham, and it didn't say that Noah cursed Ham. Noah can't curse Ham because God just blessed Ham, and when God blesses you, nobody can come behind that. I don't care how drunk somebody gets. They, you're not cursed because they say you're cursed. And here he is drunk off his own success, drunk off his own prosperity. He had all that prosperity, 
And he could have, he could have, with that, that wine that represents prosperity, he could have stored some, he could have stayed, saved some, he could have shared some, though. He decided, I'm going to consume it. And I don't have time to talk about people who get drunk off their own success and prosperity, who are not sober <laughs> and ended up hurting other folk and maltreating other people. And then there are those who will try to blame this with Noah uh, on the alcohol. Matter of fact, Jamie Foxx back in, in 2009 wrote that song, Blame It on Alcohol. And Jamie Foxx started talking about some ungodly things and some ungodly situations and some unrighteous movement. And he said, now, when that happens in your life, Jamie Foxx said, just blame it on the alcohol. Blame it on the goose because you're getting loose. Blame it on the throne because you're in a zone. Blame it on the baka. Blame it on the henny. Blame it on top shelf because you're dizzy. Blame it on the alcohol. Blame it on the alcohol. No, Jamie Foxx is wrong. And anybody that believes that, you're wrong. Don't blame it on the alcohol. It's not the alcohol's fault that you're doing that because, y'all, Noah didn't have a problem because of his drinking, but his drinking led him to the problem. <laughs> he, he didn't start drinking and then had his problem. Oh, no, he already had a problem, then he started drinking uh, because he went, watch what Noah does, he went from the ark to the altar to alcohol. Uh, that kind of threw me. <laughs> to go from the ark of safety to, to, to the altar, then to alcohol. Had you told me it went the reverse way, had you told me that, that Noah went from alcohol to the altar to the ark of safety, that makes a whole lot more sense to me. Uh, but he went from the ark of safety to the altar to alcohol. That's because somewhere between the altar and alcohol, Noah got empty. Because when you go through a storm like that, you go through a crisis like that, you go through suffering like that. You quarantine with your family like that for a whole year. You got those kind of restrictions and restraints in your life, muddy and murky and messy. And you finally come out. Now you're trying to be restored and get it renewed and replenished. Man, that could take a lot out of you. And Noah is empty. And when he got empty, he turned his back on the altar and went to alcohol. And what he should have done was turned his back on the alcohol and gone to the altar. Because I don't care how empty you are, and I know you've been praying, and, and, and then all these storms come and these heartaches come, and you're going through this suffering. You have somebody sick in your family, somebody die, then the job loss and the cut and pay and all these issues. Now you're trying to get restored and get this thing back, and I know it's taken so much out of you, and now you're empty. When you're empty, there is nothing that can fill you like Jesus. There's nothing that can fill you like the Holy Spirit. It's not drugs. It's not alcohol. Yo, it's not sexual promiscuity. The only thing that can satisfy and fill you is with God's Holy Spirit. Get you a place of worship. Get you an altar and go and pray and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And don't blame it on alcohol. You can't blame it on alcohol. And I, I know in the 21st century, in the 21st century, the argument is this. Is alcoholism a weakness or is alcoholism a sickness? That's the argument. And there are some very credible, smart, intelligent people who've thought through this and studied this and said alcoholism is a weakness. And there are others who are just as credible and just as intelligent and smart and resourceful. And they say, no, 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 alcoholism affects a chemical imbalance in your brain and it is, it's a sickness. 
So you're arguing, is it a weakness, is it a sickness? And I'm telling you, either way, you can't blame it on alcohol. Because if it is, and I don't, I don't know enough to say, I don't want to get in on that argument, but I will tell you this. If it is a sickness, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I know with Christ I have the strength to overcome the weakness. If it is a sickness, the Bible says that God is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals. The New Testament says that Jesus is the great physician. Grandma said that he's a doctor that's never lost a patient. By by his stripes are you healed. If it's a sickness, you can overcome it because you can do all things through Christ. If If it is a sickness, by his stripes are you healed. Don't blame it on the alcohol. It's time to turn your back on the alcohol. Get to the altar. Get you a connecting with the ark of safety and get filled with God's Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you that God is able to help you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish and increase even after you've come out of your storm. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think life is over. It's so hard. No, God is a God that's able to get you a comeback. That's what happened with Noah. Noah lost so much, 40 days of rain, 150 days of flooding, a a year of isolation and quarantine on the ark. He lost his house. He lost his community. He lost his chariot. He lost, he got his immediate family, but he lost his extended family. He lost his employment. He lost so much in the storm. But remember what he still got left. Still got God, still got a relationship with God, still got his wife, still have his sons, still have his daughter-in-laws. He lost a lot, but watch what he still has left. He still has two of every kind of animal that is unclean and seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. He still has two of every kind of bird. He still has two of every kind of crawling things. He lost a lot, so much, but he still has some things left. And with those leftovers, he was able to replenish and be fruitful and multiply and restore and increase. He was able to get it back. That's the kind of God we serve. Some of us, I know you've lost a lot in the crisis. And when you get finished crying about what you lost, I want you to focus in on what you still got left. Still got Jesus. Still got the Holy Spirit. Still have your relationship with God. You still have the body of Christ. You still have the church. You still have the promises of God. God can handle you and your leftovers and do some great replenishing and restoring with you. I'll close it like this. I grew up in a single-parent household. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was eight years old. And as a single parent raising four children, my mother uh, got us in Christ and kept us in church. And my mother went back to school and got a nursing degree with four children and, uh, and became a RN and took care of her family and made sure we were Christians. And mom, in those days, she used to pick, fix these huge meals for her four children. And she would cook so much food that we couldn't eat it all in one sitting at one dinner time. We, she just fixed so much food. I didn't find out later that, <laughs> that my mom was doing that on purpose. She was cooking these huge meals that we couldn't eat it all in one sitting because she wanted to have leftovers on purpose so she wouldn't have to cook every day. I know we live in a time that we throw food away, but my mother wasn't like that, raising four children by herself. Uh, She wasn't throwing no food away. We had leftovers. And I didn't mind leftovers with my mom because my mom mom knew what to do with leftovers. So on one day we would have roast beef and, and we would have corn and peas and 
and, and we, we, we'd have some vegetables with the roast beef, and then it was too much for us to eat in one city. Then the next day, uh, we, we'd had the same thing, leftovers, but it didn't look the same, and it didn't taste the same. It, it would be beef stew the next day because mom knew what to do with leftovers. On one day, we'd have baked chicken and some peas and corn, uh, carrots. Uh, then uh, on the next day, uh, we'd have chicken a la king. It, it, it was the same ingredients, uh, but it had a different seasoning to it, a different flavor, a different look to it, a different presentation because my mother knew what to do with leftovers. One day, we'd have baked potatoes, and then for breakfast, we had potato cakes. Same thing, but my mother knew uh, what to do, how to add a little bit some, and add some seasoning and flavor and change the look of it. And y'all, if my mother knows how to do that to demonstrate love to her children, how much more shall our Heavenly Father know what to do with the leftovers in you? I know you lost a lot. I understand that. I sympathize and empathize with you. But I want you to know when you get finished crying on what you lost, and then I want you to think about what you still got left over. Oh, hallelujah. I, I know everything is going to be all right because God knows how to, how to replenish it. God knows how to season it. God knows how to add a little more to it. God, God knows how to address your issues so that your leftovers can help you to be restored. Yo, you're going to be all right. You, you're going to make it. God is going to take care of you. God is going to work all things together for your good. And God is going to make sure that you um, are fruitful, that you multiply, that you increase. But remember, it started with Noah having a personal relationship with God. 